please and turn to Luke chapter 11. Gospel of Luke and chapter 11. Direct your attention to verse 1, and you follow along as I read. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midday, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is, in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is a friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish... Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? In the context of where we're going to go uh, this afternoon, it, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in a certain place and he was praying. In verse 1, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. The Bible says, When he ceased, when he was done praying, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so we find here that Jesus is praying in a certain place. His disciples must have overheard him. They must have been fully aware of what Jesus was praying or how he was praying. And it brought them to a place where they would have been deeply moved in themselves, so much so that it prompted them to ask the Lord, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, I don't know what they heard. And I think about it and I wonder, what is it that they heard? Was it the words that Jesus was saying? Or was it more than just words that Jesus was saying? Was there a sense of relationship? Was there a sense of familiarity? Was there a sense of communication that Jesus must have had with God that caused them to be so powerfully moved within themselves that they would say, Lord, teach us to do that too. Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. 
And we're going to talk about <clears throat> the issue of prayer this afternoon, but we're going to see and talk about how the power of prayer lies more in the attitude of the heart and who we pray to and our relationship with Him rather than the things that are said. People can say a lot of words, a lot of flowery words, but it means nothing. And so we're going to consider this today, and we find in this passage of Scripture that Jesus answers the question of the disciples, teach us how to pray, and he answers it with three things. He answers it with a pattern or a model. He says in verse 2, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now many people call that the Lord's Prayer. That's not actually the Lord's Prayer. That's not what Jesus prayed. But he was giving a lesson to his disciples. When you pray, this is a model or a pattern for how you should pray. You ought to pray with reverence to the Lord. Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he's giving instruction to his disciples. When you come into the presence of the Lord, you come with reverence and you talk about the holiness of God. And then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. What we want more than anything is that your will is done in our lives, in this world, just like it is in heaven. And Lord, provide for our daily needs. And so the Lord is just giving a model, a pattern, for how you should pray to the Lord. But then, after he gives them the pattern or the model, then he gives them a parable. And we find the parable in verses 5 through 10. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midday, and say, or at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is in his journey, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with, or with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And so then we find here, and we could read down, Jesus gives the, he gives the answer to it, or he gives the meaning of it. He says, I say unto you, in verse 9, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Well, so Jesus gives this parable, but then after he gives the pattern how you should pray, he gives a parable to illustrate a truth, then he gives a picture. In verses 11 through 13, he gives the picture of a father-son relationship. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Where if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? And he talks about an egg and so on. You're not going to give him something that is not good for him. And then he makes the point, if you, being human or being evil, he says, knows how to give good things to your children, how much more 
shall your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. And the explanation of all of that is in verses 9 and 10 where Jesus said, You ask, and it shall be given. And you seek, and you'll find, and you knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And so we're going to talk today about the parable in verses 5 through 10. And it's called the parable of the importunate friend. And I want us to consider this this afternoon and make some applications for you and me in our relationship to the Lord. What is this parable actually teaching? What is Jesus teaching his disciples who asked him this question, Lord, teach us to pray? Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you would help us today again this afternoon with the scriptures and with understanding. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in our relationship with you. And Lord, to understand from the Word of God the kind of relationship we ought to have, and then even the benefits that come to us as your children because of your graciousness to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd encourage this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, consider the meaning of the parable with me in in verses 5 through 8. Notice in verse 5 that Jesus... So again, a parable is an illustration of a truth. Jesus is trying to teach something to his disciples. And he says, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within inside the house shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, understand something about the word picture that Jesus is creating here. He gives the scene of a man in his house with his family, and there's a friend of his who comes to his house, and he knocks on the door, and he says, I've got somebody who has stopped at my house on his journey, and I don't have anything to feed him. Would you lend me three loaves so that I can have something to give to my friend? And from inside the house, the man is like, don't trouble me. You need to understand, it's midnight, and the door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give you what you need. Well, that word picture was significant. The disciples understood in that day. A house in Israel, especially in rural areas, they were often very small. And oftentimes, they would have consisted of just one room in a small rural area. And that one room would have been used for a sitting room, it would have been used for a dining room, and it would have been used for a bedroom. It's basically a a small one-room house or dwelling for this family. That house would often have just one door to it. That door would be left open during the daytime. But in the evening, they would shut that door And they would then slide this wooden bar through the rings in the door to barricade it and to wall it up in order to keep intruders out. It was a process. It was a thing. 
In that day then, at nighttime, like I said, it would be used as a sitting room, it would be used as a dining room, and it would be used as a bedroom. So at nighttime, they would put mats out on the floor, and those mats were used as beds in which that whole family in a row would lay down together and go to sleep. In circumstances like that, you can see how difficult it would be to get up in the middle of the night, in the dark, to do just about anything, let alone go and find what you needed and undo the door and give it to your friend. Okay? Understand the word picture? We need to also understand what this parable doesn't mean before we tell you what it does mean. This parable really isn't as much teaching us to be persistent in prayer. Rather, Jesus is trying to show a contrast to his disciples. And the issue is the word importunity in verse 8. Jesus says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. That word importunity actually means shamelessness. And it's a word that's used only here in the New Testament. In other words, what it's saying here is that this neighbor was ashamed to not help his friend because he knew that it would violate some sort of social code. And if he violated that social code, it would bring shame to him with his friends and his community. And so, God... Because Jesus is teaching his disciples here about praying to God. God is not being compared to this sleeping neighbor because God is a God who never sleeps. God is not being compared to this neighbor in the fact that the door is shut because God, God's door is never shut to his children. God is not being compared to this sleeping neighbor because God is not one who is ever put out to help his children in time of need. Instead, God is being contrasted to this neighbor, not compared with the neighbor. Jesus is saying this. He's saying if a sleeping neighbor on the basis of friendship and social etiquette is going to get up and meet the need of his friend, even though it's difficult... How much more will your Father in heaven meet the needs of his own children whom he loves so dearly? So here's what it does mean. Jesus is, a, is applying the Jewish rule of contrast here. It's called parabolic contrast. In other words, what that means is all that the friend was that Jesus described, God is not. Okay, do you understand this? You follow this? And the friend's answer to the one standing outside of his door stands in sharp contrast to the way that God would answer. God is a loving father, not a grouchy neighbor. He gives us what we need. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't become weary when we ask him for help. 
In fact, James chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So what we find here, as Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he's setting a contrast with the grouchy neighbor saying, God is not like this. God is something completely different. So let's consider the explanation of the parable in verse 9, down through verse 13. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? After Jesus sets out this contrast, Jesus then begins to give the actual comparison of what God is like. Now, first of all, again, what it doesn't mean in verse 9. Verse 9 says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now, this verse is not so much teaching us to keep beating or hammering on God's door until he, until he answers. We saw the neighbor, the guy was beating on his door, and because of his importunity, he decided, okay, fine, I'll help you, I'll give you what you need. It's not teaching us to keep beating or hammering on God's door until God answers. It doesn't teach us to keep trying until we overcome God's unwillingness to act. We noticed that with the neighbor. He wasn't willing. I can't do this. It's too hard for me. And yet, because of his importunity, he gave his friend what he needed. He wasn't willing at first. It's not telling us and teaching us to keep trying until we overcome God's unwillingness. It's not teaching us that God plays hard to get either. And it doesn't teach us that our goal is to somehow coerce an unwilling God to answer what it does mean is in verse 11 and 12, where Jesus says, if you're a father, what would you give to your son? You would give your son anything and everything that needs to be given him that's good for him because you're the father and he's your son. Here's the story of a father-son relationship, Jesus gives it to illustrate to us what God actually is. The first man, the neighbor, he would not give. He didn't want to be troubled. But finally, he ended up giving to avoid trouble. But the second man in this story is a father. And this father gives to his son just what he needs because of his love. And even the unsaved man will do this for his children. And if that is true, how much more will your heavenly father give who is perfect and who is good all the time? So the application is, this is a story about friendship in verse 5 contrasted with 
sonship in verse 11. You understand that? And here we bring it back to the issue of prayer. True prayer, prayer to God, is not based on our friendship with God, but on the fact that we are the sons of God, that we are children of God. A father meets the needs of his children, not to avoid shame in his life, but to express love for his children. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. It cometh down from above. And it comes from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he's setting this contrast that God is not like this grouchy neighbor. God is a father. And when you pray to him, it is on the basis of the fact that he is your loving heavenly father, not on the fact that we're friends. And so there's some principles here that we can glean from this portion of Scripture. In verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you. That's often... Something, that phrase means that what I'm going to say next is in contrast to what I've already told you. He says, I say to you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. The principle here that Jesus is giving is ask, seek, and knock. And somebody might say, well, if Jesus is saying ask, and Jesus is saying seek, and Jesus is saying knock, doesn't that imply something? Doesn't that mean that we ought to be persistent with the Lord if Jesus is saying ask, seek, knock? Doesn't that tell us to be persistent with the Lord? Well, in truth, this setting and the words that are used here are in the present active voice. And what that means is that it speaks of continual action. And so somebody would be right in saying, well, if it's speaking of continual action, doesn't that tell us then to be persistent with God? Is he not encouraging us to be persistent in prayer? Well, the answer is this. The answer is yes. We are to be persistent in prayer. But here's the thing. It's tied to the fact that we are sons of God, not to the fact that we are friends with God. That's why Jesus says, if a son, if a son would ask this, would you not give it? See, it's not trying, prayer to God and persistence with God in prayer is not trying to twist God's arm to get him to give us what we want. What it does mean is that I'm keeping in close communion with the Father, knowing His will and asking for His will to be performed in my life, the thing which is good. And so, yes, we should always be asking. We should always be seeking. We should always be knocking. In Luke chapter 1, Jesus, or chapter 18, rather, in verse 1, the Bible says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And he goes on to talk about the widow and the unjust judge, who because of her continual asking, gave her what she needed. And maybe we'll talk about that one at some point, not today. 
But the answer is yes, we ought to be persistent with God. But it's not on the fact that I'm just continually asking and asking and finally God breaks down and gives me what I want. I ought to be coming to Him, seeking, knocking, asking, but based on my sonship, on the fact that He's my Father who loves me. Our faith in God, who is our Father, needs to be active, not passive. And let me illustrate something for you here, because Jesus is saying, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The asking for something implies humility and an awareness of a need. Lord, you know that I have this need. Lord, I'm aware that I have this need. I can't do anything about it, but Lord, I know that you can. Would you meet this need? There's an asking that implies a humility and an awareness of a need. Then there's the seeking. But what is seeking, actually? Seeking is asking and then acting. Okay? Seeking after something. It's asking, then acting. What is knocking, then? Knocking is asking and acting and then persevering. Well, how does all of that fit? How does that, what does that look like then when it comes to prayer with God? Let me give you an example. We might ask the Lord if the Lord would save souls. We might pray, Lord, would you save a soul? Lord, I know that it's your will. I can't save people, but Lord, you do. Lord, would you save a soul? I'm asking the Lord to do something. But then the seeking would be something like this. Lord, would you save a soul as I go about looking for one that God might use me in their life somehow? Does that make sense? You following this? I'm seeking. Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you save a soul as I go in search of a lost soul? Because I believe this is what God's will is. And so now I go in search of a lost soul and I found one who is listening. One who's open to the gospel. And here's the knocking, the perseverance part. Lord, would you save this soul? Now you've laid it on my heart. Lord, you've used me in this person's life. Lord, would you save this soul? And I'm going to keep pressing and I'm going to keep working and I'm going to keep giving until this person comes to know the Lord. And Lord, you said, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Asking implies an awareness of a need. Seeking is asking and acting. But the knocking is asking, acting, and then persevering. That's the principle that Jesus is setting forth to His disciples when you pray. Ask, seek, knock. And He says, ask and it shall be given. He says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. But then there's another principle here that he gives in verse 11, or excuse me, verse 13. And the principle is this, 
it's not only about asking the Lord, but also we need to learn to ask for the very best things. In verse 13, he says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? We need to learn to ask for the best things. If we were to go over to Matthew chapter 7, it's a parallel account of this parable here. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 11, note Jesus' words, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? Now, in Matthew 7, Jesus says good things. In Matthew 13, or Luke chapter 11, in our text, in verse 13, Jesus says, give the Holy Spirit to them. Well, the thought here and the principle is, is that the Holy Spirit is the best and the highest gift or thing that we could ever ask for as far as humanity goes. It, the Holy Spirit is, is involved in our salvation, in regeneration of souls. The Holy Spirit is involved in all of our daily life as a child of God. How we need the Holy Spirit in our life for everything, like building character, to guide us uh, in our decisions in life, in our conduct, to empower us in, in our service to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the best and highest gift for humanity. Now, most of the time when we pray... What do we pray for? Lord, I need you to help me with this. And Lord, would you give me this? And Lord, here's this thing, another thing. And we pray for material things. And of course we should pray for material things. Of course we should pray about health. Of course we ought to pray about things like finances and so on. But praying for those kinds of things is not the highest form of praying to God. That's a level, but we should not stay at that level in the Christian life. We ought to graduate to the highest level of asking the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit of God because it's the Holy Spirit of God that is going to help us develop in our Christian character. It's the Holy Spirit of God that's going to help us develop in our conduct, in our way of life that is actually going to glorify God. It's not about me. It's not about even in this life. It's about glorifying the Lord and His will being done. There are examples of this. I think the Apostle Paul is a wonderful example. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. In verse 9. He says, In this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness 
which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. What is it that Paul is praying for? The things that he's praying for is that you, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Also, that you may approve things that are excellent, spiritual things, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that you would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, so that you can glorify God in your life. He prays about love. He prays about discernment. He prays about maturity. He prays about obedience. He prays about faith in God. He prays about power. Those are things, listen, those are things that the Spirit of God will produce in a person's life. Let me give you another example. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that your eyes, or that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. His prayer for these people was that they would know God and that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would be able to understand the hope that they have in God. Flip over to chapter 3 of Ephesians. In verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Is Paul praying for finances? Is he praying for material things? Is he praying for health? He's talking about spiritual health, for sure. But he's praying about love, the love of God. He's praying about wisdom and discernment. He's talking about spiritual maturity and obedience in faith and the power of God. All the things that the Spirit of God will produce in the life of a child of God. Our prayer life so often can be so immature and so shallow. We pray about all these material or physical things, these needs, and we should pray for health, and we should pray for things. But listen, the Lord doesn't want us to stay there. The Lord wants us to grow in our relationship with Him and learn to be asking Him for the very best things. Jesus said, will not your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? How much more? How much more? Well, He doesn't tell us. How much more? He just lets our imagination 
start to run for a little bit? What else would God do in my life? But when we ask for bread, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Maybe in our minds we're asking for a little, little dinner roll. Give us this day our daily bread. When actually, God might be baking up something way more intense and way more filling than that little dinner roll. We're not, when it comes to prayer and when it comes to asking God for things and it comes to our relationship with God, we're not trying to wring these little gifts out of an unwilling God's hands. But we are going to the one who knows what our needs are. He knows them better than we do. And whose heart toward us is a heart of a father's generous love. In the story that Jesus was giving, persistence on the part of the neighbor conquered selfishness on the part of the one who didn't want to give. And if persistence conquered selfishness, how much more and how much greater will God's generous love towards us be? And how much more can that possibly do? The point here today is this. Our prayer life, or the things we pray for, just examine it, consider it. Because it's not based on friendship. It should be based on the fact that I'm a son of God and how good God is and what is God's will that needs to be done and should be done in my life. God is not an unwilling God. His door is never closed. His ear is never heavy that it cannot hear. In fact, God wants us to come to Him in childlike faith, asking, making aware, being aware of our need, but then expecting that God, who is a loving God, will do far above what we could ever ask or think. How's your relationship with the Lord? How's your prayer life in relation to the Lord? And I don't know exactly what the Lord would do in your heart and your life today, but I know this. I know the Lord wants us to grow in faith. He wants us to grow deeper in our love relationship with Him. And when I come before Him and I'm asking something of Him, it's not based on me trying to wring something out of His hands or coerce Him. It ought to be, Lord, You know what my need is better than I do. And you're my heavenly Father who loves me. Lord, I trust you. And then expect that God is going to answer and give according to his good pleasure and his good will. He knows what your needs are. Amen? Praise the Lord we have that kind of a Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for truth in your word that guides us and directs us. And may we today examine our own heart and our own prayer life. And sometimes prayer is non-existent in Christian people's lives. And when we approach the throne, it's like we're begging or trying to wring something out of God's unwilling hands. And Jesus shows His disciples God is not like that. He's not like an unwilling neighbor. No, He's a Father who only gives good things to His children. And the persistence that I would go to the Lord with 
is based on my relationship to Him and His will being done in my life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see you that way. Lord, help us to grow in our love relationship with you. That we would ask and seek and knock according to your will and your good pleasure. Lord, grow us in our faith. And Lord, help us to learn to ask for the best things, the spiritual things, the Spirit of God in our life to control, to empower to help us to live lives that would be honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.